the church is that we're not just the people that like being together or like hanging out with one another or ha- like singing songs on Sunday morning, um, but we are a people who've been sent on a mission from God, a God who chose to save this world through belief in Jesus Christ, that we might actually be free right now in this world and that we might live with the same mission that Jesus lived with. That's a wonderful opportunity that we have. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. Today is a special day. Uh, this is our fourth anniversary as a church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, I just want to say, I, and I'm not sure exactly what we were thinking. Well, I kind of know what we were thinking when uh, Tri-Cities Church was born on MLK Day uh, weekend. Um, because we had this vision of being a multi-ethnic, diverse church from day one. But another thing that we, um, I guess maybe we didn't think about, maybe we thought about it and said it doesn't matter, that people travel on this weekend and people are away. Um, but, but let me just say this uh, right now. Uh, next year, MLK Day weekend will be our fifth anniversary. So go ahead and put that on your calendar so that you are in town and not out of town. You are giving... Uh, advance notice um, that we will celebrate next year, our fifth year. We've never really made a huge deal about our anniversary a- as a church, um, but, um, but next year we will make a big deal about our anniversary as a church, and we're going to uh, celebrate in a big way what God is doing and has done here at Tri-Cities Church. This morning, though, we will do what we've done in previous years. We've got cupcakes in the back. Um, they'll be back there. Don't Some people are looking back. <laughs> They're like, I want my cupcake now. You got to wait for your cupcake. Uh, we will have cupcakes uh, back there in the, in the back when, when um, service is over. So go back there, hang out, fellowship. Hey, um, I, you know, there's, there's, um, it, it is significant that our anniversary is on uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day weekend. And uh, there's something that he said. He says, we can either learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we can perish together as fools. I think he was on to something when he said that. And, and it wasn't just, he wasn't on to a good idea for our society, right? It, it wasn't just a, a good idea that we learned to live together. It wasn't just a good idea that we integrate schools. It wasn't just a good idea that we learned to love and serve with brothers and sisters. But that's a God idea, right? That was a God thing. God brought people together. In the Bible, we see over and over again, that God is bringing unity to people, that he's calling the church to be a people from every tribe and nation and race and ethnicity under the sun, that what God is doing is unifying by its very nature. And so, yes, we um, can learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we can perish together as fools, fools who have not listened and paid attention to what God is doing and what God is calling us to be as his church. So, yes, good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. This is our fourth anniversary. We're celebrating what God is doing here to bring people together. From our very beginning, diversity was one of our values, right? We wanted to see God, what God was doing to bring together a diverse people. We read the scriptures and said, this is what God is doing in our world, and we want to be a part of that. And we celebrate every Sunday when we look out and we see people from all kinds of backgrounds and histories and stories uh, worshiping the one true God. In fact, it's our most powerful witness and testimony uh, to the world is that God is saving the world, right? All of us together. Um, and uh, in, in our, um, in our uh, class that we're doing on Wednesday night's bloodlines, we looked at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, 
uh, where it gives us this beautiful image of a diverse group of people under, um, uh, around the throne worshiping, worshiping God. Um, it's going to be a wonderful thing, and we want to see that reality come down here. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're beginning a new series, so uh, let's pray, and then we'll, let, we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that we, are, um, that we have this opportunity to gather here in this place and celebrate uh, what you are doing in our world um, and celebrate the, re- the, the reality that you've called us to be a part of it, um, that we're not just sitting back as spectators of God working, um, that we're not sitting back as... Um, supervisors or uh, we're not being entertained by what you do, um, but we are uh, participants in your work. We are co-laborers with Christ and with one another. And so, God, we thank you that you've given us that identity, that you've called us to that work, that mission. Um, And so, God, I just pray that this morning as we open the scriptures and as we begin this series, God, I just pray that you'll be with us, God, that you will help us to uh, see and understand your word, that we'll be shaped by it. Um, that, that, um, God, I pray that, that we'll fall in love again with your word um, and that we won't be able to get enough of it, that we'll be reading it and consuming it and, and, and processing it and memorizing it and, and, and being shaped as a people of your word. So God, as we, as we open it this morning, I just pray that you open our eyes and give us ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and minds that comprehend what you are saying to your church. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, well, this morning on our fourth anniversary, we're beginning uh, the longest series in the history of Tri-Cities Church. Um, For an entire year, we're going to be studying the Gospel of John. Um, And and I started this, uh, thinking about this series, I I felt that God was leading us to study uh, one of the four Gospels. Actually, it started with God is leading us to study all four Gospels straight through, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we were like, that's going to take... that's going to take like eight years to do that. Um, and, so, uh, and so we were like, where, where's a good starting point? How can we jump into the Gospels and begin starting, not, really not knowing how long this is going to be? I'm saying we're going to be in this series for the entire year going through the Gospel of John. Because at first I was like, how can I get through the Gospel of John by Easter, or at least to the resurrection by Easter? And it's just not possible. We don't do ser- uh, um, service to this fantastic book of the Bible that speaks to people in such a powerful and real way if we try to squeeze it into a short time frame. So for the entire year, we're going to be studying the gospel of John, and I want to challenge you to be here and be a part of that. Last week, we talked about uh, just the gospel in general, what the gospel is, that the gospel is the story of Jesus that surrounds the death and resurrection of Jesus. We saw that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the essential centerpiece of the gospel, that there is no gospel apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's no way of telling a story and announcing it as good news, as gospel, unless that story leads to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we saw also that it's not enough for us just to do good works, to put our hands to work and to encourage people and to cheer people on in our world. If we do that, we just become a motivational speaker right? And people who are good at encouraging people towards good works, but we're not encouraging them with the gospel, which is centered around the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, John's gospel, right? The fourth gospel, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I was initially drawn, drawn to John. In fact, I was initially drawn to John as a student. Um, 
uh, as I was studying Greek, um, because it is a, a, a student of Greek's dream. Um, because John, uh, some people say John has a very limited vocabulary. Um, that may be so, or maybe he was just trying to write a book that was very accessible to people that they could understand about Jesus. But what John does in his book, especially, you especially see it if you read it in the original language in Greek, you see that John repeats the same words over and over again. And so by the time you get to like chapter five, you pretty much have John's vocabulary down. And so you can kind of read it a little bit more with ease and not have to look up every word that you kind of like, I don't know that word. And so it was a, a Greek student's dream, but it's also just an accessible book of the Bible. His theology is not like the theology in Romans. Although he goes deep, he makes it accessible. We learn about Jesus very clearly uh, from the gospel of of John. And so it's a fantastic book for us as a church to dive into. In fact, whenever somebody says, hey, I, I don't know the story of, of Jesus, or I'd like to know Jesus better— it's just my go-to. I always recommend that people go to John. Uh, I love the way that he organizes his book around these seven signs, these miracles that we'll get into as we get into this series. I love the way that this, the, the book of John has this sense of progression to it. It almost builds, if you will, as you, as you read it. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't allow me to grow tired of reading, right? I get excited the more I get into the book of John um, because it's just a fantastic gospel uh, for us to explore Jesus through, to enter into the life of Jesus and explore what God was doing and how God revealed himself through uh, Jesus. So there's several reasons why I'm excited about this series, and I want us uh, to be excited about this, um, this series as well. Uh, the, the first thing, reason why I think we should be, as a church, should be excited about this series is we get to spend a year with a man. We get to study for an entire year with a man that studied for three years from Jesus Christ himself, right? And, um, and I, I, when, I, when I was in school, um, when I went to Princeton Seminary, I studied with this guy named Daryl Guter, uh, and he was a fantastic theologian that was at the end of his career, and his theology had evolved uh, to the point where um, he, was, he was in his 70s, and his mind was super sharp, right? So he had, his theology had evolved all the way up into his 70s, his, his study of the scriptures um, from the time he was young. And it was just an incredible opportunity to sit and study from a man that has studied the scriptures for that long. And that's what we're doing, right? We're having the opportunity to sit and study with a man that studied with Jesus Christ himself, right? And has written this book in order to make him known. And, and that's a privilege, I think, beyond what we can, what we can understand, right? That he studied with Jesus. Right? Imagine that. That he listened to the very words of Jesus. That he witnessed the things Jesus did. That he saw how people responded to him. And he's chosen to write this letter. And, and think about what a gift it is that we have the book of John today. Right? This is, this is a wonderful opportunity that we have. Second reason, I think, that we... Um, we, we should be excited about studying John is because we get to learn from John's unparalleled focus on God's glory. John's unparalleled focus on God's glory, right? What John does is John focuses on, um, on, on um, um, we get to learn from John's unparalleled focus on Jesus' glory, which reveals the glory of God. Maybe I should put it that way. Um, so what we see, what John goes over and over, when, if you read this book, one of the things, the first thing that jumps out to me is John has all this father language. He's talking about the father is in me doing his work. The things you see me do, those are of my father. Everything that I say is coming from my 
Father. He's constantly talking about the Father, the Father this, Father this, Father that. And he's talking about God and that God has chosen. This is an incredible gift for us, right? That God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus Christ, right? That God's glory is seen through Jesus Christ. And what John does as an eyewitness to the things that Jesus was doing is that he reveals to us an unparalleled emphasis on Jesus' glory and ultimately the glory of God. So if you want to know what Jesus is like, his character, his attributes, if you want to know God, you can know God through Jesus Christ. Third reason why I think we should be uh, excited about studying this gospel is because this gospel uh, has proven to strengthen the faith of those who study it, right? This gospel has proven time and time again as communities of people have gathered and studied this gospel, it has proven to strengthen the faith of those who study it. So if you say, um, well, I grew up in the church, right? Maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe I grew up in the church and I was taught by my parents to believe in Sunday school. I was told the story of Jesus, and yeah, I, I believe it, um, but I just, I don't really feel like my faith is that strong, I, I don't, or I don't, I don't feel like I believe it like some people um, believe it. I, I really just don't get it, right? I mean, I've been told that church is a good thing. This gospel has been proven to strengthen the faith of those who study it. So we're going to dive into it for an entire year, and we're going to see how God strengthens faith in our church. And I'll be honest, this is why I'm excited about the gospel of John, um, because I believe that a church with strong faith, right, is unstoppable in our world. And what God will do with a church that has strong faith, we cannot imagine how God will transform our community. So I'm expecting us as a church to go into 2018 with stronger faith, excited about what God can and will do through our church. Now, there's a couple of things. This, we're just getting into this book. There's a couple of things that you can do to get the most out of this series, right? And I want to encourage you to do these. Um, the first one is this. At least once this year, better now than, than later, better here at the beginning of this series than later, but at least once this year, uh, read through the entire book of John in one sitting, the entire book of John in one sitting. This will take you anywhere from, depending on how fast you read, anywhere from an hour and a half uh, to, to two hours or maybe even a little bit more. And I know for some of us that's a challenge uh, uh, to, to jump into the Bible in that way. In fact, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little intimidated by the Gospel of John. It is a large book of the Bible to read in one sitting. I got up early one morning. I made a strong cup of coffee. I started sipping my coffee and reading John. And the experience of reading it from beginning to end was so powerful. I actually got up the next morning, made another strong cup of coffee, and read it again from beginning to end. It was just that good when you sit and get the whole thing in one sitting. And here's the thing. Um, because I, I say at least once during this series, here's the way the Bible works, right? The Bible's not like a novel, nor is it a dictionary. It is, um, it is a living, the living word of God that God will use in different ways in your life, in different seasons and on different days. And I tell you, there were things I was like, um, when I read it, read it back to back twice, I was like, hold on, how did I, how did I miss that? Like, how did I miss it? Like, um, 
And uh, my notes from the two times of reading it were totally different um, because God uses the Bible in that kind of way. So at least once during this series, read through the whole book of John uh, uh, um, in one sitting. At least make that an effort, right? Maybe getting up early in the morning, maybe staying up late at night after the kids are in bed with a strong cup of coffee. Maybe that will work for you. Second thing I want to challenge you to do is, right, is weekly spend some time in the section for the next week. Every week, spend some time in the section for the next week. So next week, we're going to jump in. To, this is really an introductory message this week. Next week, we're going to jump into John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. And you can spend time with this in many different ways. Maybe it's getting up and reading it every morning, and God will use that differently every single day. So maybe it's getting up and reading John 1, 1 through 18 this week, uh, uh, every single day, and then, and then spending time in prayer with God. Or maybe it's taking a section out of that John 1 through 18, John 1, 1 through 18, and memorizing it, right? Or, or maybe it's doing some word studies, like picking out words in John 1, 1 through 18 that you don't understand, and trying to get a better understanding and grasp of those words. But whatever you do, spend some time in the section for each week. Every week, we will make known the section for the next week, and just spend some time in that section studying it. Third thing I think we can do um, that, that, uh, that will make this series beneficial to us is that we can... Um, we can, um, there we go. All right. Uh, what was the one that I just said? Okay, well, yeah, I said weekly. All right, daily. Pray about how God wants to use, that was one of those moments. Y'all ever had those moments in a conversation? Um, but daily, pray about how God wants to use the gospel to transform you, right? Pray about how God wants to use the gospel to transform you. Um, because God does want to use the gospel. What we see is that the gospel's been transforming people uh, for generations, right? For thousands of years, the gospel has been transforming people, bringing change into their lives. And as we, um, as, as we read this and study through this great book of the Bible, right, here's, here's what we do when we pray. Um, we open ourselves up to what God might want to do. In fact, we open ourselves up to the mind of God himself. Because we might say, I've walked with the Lord for a long time. This may be you. You may say, I've walked with the Lord for a long time. I mean, I know the Bible in and out. I've studied it. I mean, I kind of I know what's the, what the good is that I'm supposed to do. I know what God is calling me to do or be. Um, and, and so you may be saying that, but, but here, here's, here's how God does things, right? Um, that the mind of God no one can comprehend. Um, and so what God wants to do in and through your life, there's no way that you have fully seen it and fully understood it. And so pray about every single day how God wants to use the gospel to transform your life. And he'll do it. He will do it, and it'll be glorious. It'll be a glorious thing because the transformation that God brings is ultimately, even though, it's, even though it's, it can sometimes be challenging and call us out of our comfort zones into places that are unknown, as we see that God does from Abraham onward, right? That he calls people into unknown, uncomfortable places. The change that God brings is ultimately for your good and the good of the world. And God does magnificent things when we are able to say yes to him. 
Now, the thing I love about John's gospel as we get into this gospel is that John states his goal from the, um, not really from the beginning, um, but John states his goal at the end of the book. He makes clear his purpose. There's all kinds of theologians and writers and scholars that have studied books of the Bible and have sat and wondered and debated about what the goal of this book is or what the central theme of this book is or, or what was the author trying to convey. But John makes it clear from the very beginning what he wanted us to get from this book. In fact, if you look at John chapter 20, John gets there for us, and here's uh, towards the end of the book, uh, John states in as clear language as any book of the Bible that I can think of what, um, what his goal is. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, many other signs, um, uh, therefore, many, uh, um, let, me, let, me, let me make a statement before I read that. Um, so, um, uh, so, so as, as we get into this book of the Bible, I, I don't know why, I should, probably shouldn't have done that, but I did it. I'm there now. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so, so one of the things that I've done, if you guys have been tracking along with me for a little bit, um, you probably know that I read out of the NIV Bible, which is the most popular Bible that, there, um, that, that has been written. Uh, it, is, it, 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 um, it is a translation that was uh, translated with readability in mind. So if you're familiar with King James and the thou's and these and those and, and different language, it was kind of difficult and choppy and the large vocabulary. The NIV chose to try to make vocabulary more accessible uh, to the reader and take away thou's and these and words that we just don't use anymore. Um, I have chosen for this series, though, I'm, I'm, I'm actually switching the translations that I'm reading from. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, uh, which is um, oftentimes is, is called, um, it's the closest to the Greek, uh, the closest to the original language. But um, therefore, as I was reading this, it just kind of popped in my mind, uh, some places and sometimes it can get a little choppy, right? It can, it can um, um, because it's, it, it's just not easy to translate from one language to another and do so kind of woodenly without, um, without making some uh, decisions in terms of how I translate this phrase, or maybe even like a, uh, some of the idioms and things like that in, in the language, how I make this uh, understandable to the reader. Um, but so, so sometimes it gets a little choppy, um, but bear with it, because I believe that as we uh, get close to the original languages and, and, uh, and as we study from, from the NASB, that's what we'll be using. I still recommend that you continue to use the Bible that you have found that works uh, uh, best for you, as long as it's not the Message Bible. Right, the Message Bible is a joy to read, um, but, uh, but, but pick something else um, uh, to, to, to read when you choose to study the Bible, right? when you choose to really get an understanding of, of what the Scriptures are saying. All right, so, all right, so here, here's what John says. This is John's goal in this book. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. This is why he's reading the book, right? These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, over the past month or so, with our Christmas series, we're talking about the plan of God. And what, G- what John is doing here from the beginning uh, in his book, and what he states here at the end was his purpose in this book, is to reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that we might get that as we study John. That was his whole goal in writing, is that we might know that he's the Christ. Now, Christ, um, um, we, we often talk about Jesus Christ. In fact, I looked up um, um, uh, um, uh, Christ in the dictionary, and it was like, um, <laughs> it had two definitions. It was like, one was Jesus, and the other one was like a, um, an, an exclamation of uh, 
uh, kind of, uh, like, like when you say Christ, like frustration, right? Um, and so those were the two de- de- definitions of Christ that were in the Bible, actually. Um, and and I, I thought that was kind of odd, but Christ is not, right, if you ever wonder, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? We, we kind of state it like that sometimes. That's an easy mistake to make, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is actually the Greek version. Christos is what it comes from. The Greek word of the Hebrew uh, word Messiah, right? So Christ and Messiah mean the same thing, right? They mean God's anointed or God's chosen one. And so here we have this word Messiah that's often used in the Old Testament to talk about this one that God chose to fulfill his plan, that there's a God who had a plan from the creation of the world, right? He made promises about that plan to Abraham when he said, the whole world will be blessed through you. He made promises about that plan to Moses when he called them to be a people shaped by the law. He made promises about that plan to David when he told David that there will be one who is coming who will sit on your throne forever. And so he made all these promises about this plan that was unfolding in our world, and we see the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus Christ. Christ, God's anointed, God's chosen one to fulfill his plan. And so when we get into John, John is saying, I want you to believe, right, that what you read about in the Old Testament, that what God is doing can only fully be understood through Jesus Christ, God's chosen one. Because if you eliminate Christ out the plan of God, you're missing a huge part. In fact, the fulfillment of what God is doing. Um, And so what John wants you to see is that all this talk that God made in the Old Testament, that the world is going to be blessed through you, that the law I give you, Jesus came to fulfill that law, that someone's going to sit on David's throne forever. All that's being fulfilled in Jesus, but, but in a different way than people understood it, right? Because the Jews understood it especially that throne one, they were looking for a king, right? Um, I I think somebody was probably making Jesus a sword, right? They're like, this guy's going to need a sword. If he really is the Messiah, he's going to need a custom sword and a custom shield and all these. And I I imagine that the the, uh, blacksmith of the day were like uh, kind of hammering out swords and shields for Jesus, and they didn't know that he came in the name of peace so that the people might have joy and that God's kingdom might reign forever. And, And they just didn't get it. But what we see unfolding through Jesus Christ is that God's plan looked different than what our minds were able to imagine and comprehend. But he established Jesus as king of heaven, king of earth, because he's the only one that conquered the grave, the greatest enemy of all time that every king before him, no matter what kind of power he, he had, no matter what it looked like, no matter how people praised him, that every king that came before him met the same end, and that end is death. And Jesus met death, defied it, defeated it, beat it, and we have the victory because he's overcome. That's what John wants us to see, is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Son of God uh, wasn't original to Jesus Christ. Right? It, it wasn't original to Jesus. In fact, I think it was Julius Caesar was called son of God. It was a way of manipulating people and elevating their, uh, the authority of earthly rulers. And so I am a son of God. My authority comes from God, says Julius Caesar, or the gods, 
said Julius Caesar, or other rulers who claim to be sons of God. But here's what the Bible does, and what John is doing and all of Scripture is trying to show us is that there's only one Christ, the Christ. There's only one that can fulfill this plan of God that the prophets wrote about. There's only one that could fulfill this plan of God that the people longed for, and that is Jesus. There's only one Son of God. God didn't have sons sent to fulfill his plan, but there was a Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, that was sent to fulfill God's plan. And John wants us to see that God has sent him, and for us to believe that this long unfolding plan has now met its fulfillment in Jesus, the Son of God. And then, listen to what he says, because I, I think this is really key, and that believing you may have life in his name, right? That believing you may have life in his name name. John wants us to see that it is impossible for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ once we get what that's all about. It is impossible to believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to fulfill God's plan and not be transformed, right? And for our lives not to be transformed. Belief is something other for John. It's something other than a mental ascent. It's something other than uh, believing that... um, It's something other than believing that today is Tri-City Church's fourth birthday, or it's something other than believing that, um, that tomorrow is going to be a good day at your job, or it's something other than believing that, uh, that, that any good thing has happened in this world. You just take the news. It's something other than that, but it's a belief that transforms us at the very core, right? It's impossible to believe that the world has changed in the way that it has as God's plan is fulfilled in the gospel through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and not be changed. It's impossible. And so when John uses this word life all throughout this book, one of the things you will notice is John keeps coming back to this word life, right? I've come so that you might have life, or he talks about everlasting life or that you might have life and have it abundantly. Over and over again, John is coming back to this word life. But what he's not teaching us is he's not teaching us that God came in the form of Jesus Christ so that people who were living could live, right? Because we're already living. He's not talking about ordinary life, like having breath in our lungs and hands that move and feet that kick. And those, hopefully feet aren't kicking, feet that walk. Um, He's not talking about that kind of life, but rather he's talking about a different kind of life. He's talking about the life of God himself, which has now come to earth. You see, when we get into John, the thing we get about this life that John is always talking about, the thing we get here in John is that this everlasting life, this life that John goes on and on and on about, that he keeps coming back to, um, this life, eternal life even, doesn't, isn't some future thing that we receive when we die, right? It's not about over yonder or when, uh, when we reunite in the sky one day and we become recipients of eternal life. What John wants us to see in this gospel is that eternal life or life, which are used as synonyms in John's gospel, that this life from God begins right now. That this life from God begins right now. 
that the heavens have broken over. God has sent his chosen one so that we might have a different kind of life during our existence here on earth that will continue and, um, that will continue and get even better on the other side of death, right? Uh, so look at, look at John chapter 17. There's this important um, uh, verse where John uses this word life. I'm going I'm to begin reading in verse 1 in John chapter 17. It says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom he has given him, he may give eternal life. All right, so basically he's saying, Father, glorify me. It's time for me to go to the cross, is what he's saying, for your work what you are doing through me to be fulfilled, for the gospel to be uh, fulfilled. Um, So glorify me um, and that you've given me, he says, uh, the ability to give eternal life. Then look at at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice what he does not say there. This is eternal life, that they will suffer the trials of this world, die, and receive eternal life at the resurrection. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, this is eternal life, that they will believe in you and sit and wait for you to come, that they can receive eternal life. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, this is eternal life. And as long as they perfect their church attendance and join a winter session class, um, then at the resurrection, when Jesus returns, they will receive eternal life. That's not what he says. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So as we come to know God, we become inheritors of eternal life, a life that begins right now. Now, I, I, I don't know about you. Well, well, actually, I do know about you because this is biblical. Um, um, so for all of us, um, the life that we live apart from Christ is not genuine life, right? That's not genuine life. That's not the life that God chose so that we could, um, that God desires or chose for us to experience, right? So, um, so look, look with me in another verse, and then I'm going to point to another verse, and then, then we'll make this point a little bit clearer. So if you look at, at 1 John chapter 2, and 1 John chapter 2 is another book that was written by John um, to the church. Listen to what, what John says. 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. He says, um, because, but, but keep your finger in John chapter 17. Because in John chapter 17, remember he says, um, this is eternal life. Um, this is eternal life that they may know you. Then look at John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. All right, so here's, here's what he's saying. This is eternal life that they know you and know the one, and know the one you sent, Jesus. And then in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Three, he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But 
whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so what John is trying to get the church to see is that eternal life is believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and being transformed by that belief. That it's impossible to believe that Jesus is the Christ and not be transformed by that. And that, that means that the, the um, that means the best way I was able to think to say this is that we are consumed by the life of God when we believe. That we are allowing the life of God to consume us. That means God's character becomes our character. God's attributes, at least um, at least some of them, right? Um, because we're not going to be all-knowing, right? We're not going to be all-powerful. But God's attributes, like his love, right? Like his compassion, um, like his kindness towards us, grace and forgiveness becomes the things that characterize our lives, right? That we are consumed by the life of God. That the things that God was passionate about, we become passionate about. That our life trajectory begins to change as a result of belief in Jesus Christ. And that itself is eternal life, right? That we begin to make different decisions. Right? And that we don't do the same thing over and over again. Right? That, that our lives begin to be transformed by the gospel. And, and here's the thing that we've been talking about uh, really since the beginning of the year. Um, that it's important for us as the church to become students of the word of God so we can know what it looks like. We, we can know what we're being transformed into. Right? You know, so we, we can know what God is using his word to transform us into. Because it's, it's inadequate for us to say, um, it's inadequate for us to say, well, we all know what, it, what God desires from us. We, we all know what it looks like to live holy. Or we, we all know the right that we should be doing. And the reality is generation upon generation has made that mistake as they were poor students of the Bible and did not study the word of God rightly. And the Bible is challenging us to know God, to study his word so that we can be transformed into his likeness, so that we can become more like him. Um, um, John is teaching us that if we're going to believe, we must be transformed. And that's why this prayer that I challenge you to have every day as we're going through this series is, God, how do you want to transform me through the gospel? How are you opening me up to be used by you? How is this gospel relevant in my life? Because here's the deal. And this is a problem that the church is facing, that in our society today, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, means almost nothing other than incorporating a few new habits, a few new routines into my life. And the world doesn't see the importance of that, right? There's a lot of ways to incorporate I mean, I don't know if y'all, I, I mean, I like, uh, my, my, my wife likes going to the library, um, and she spends a long time there, so I have to spend a long time there, too, if I'm with her. 
Uh, and so you start looking at books, and you start seeing the books that are on changing your habits, right? How do the, I mean, that is a market. If anybody wants to enter a market that's hot right now, the market on how to change your habits is hot, right? Write a book. Nobody cares if it's true or not. Anybody can be an author right now. I'm telling you, just get a catchy cover, a catchy title, and it will sell because our world wants to change our habits, and they don't see the need for an institution to help them change their habits when the books can teach them how to do that. But Christianity now in our society and in our society's eyes, and almost rightly so because it's become so in the church, um, Christianity has become about incorporating a few new habits and a few new routines. And not about this total transformation by the gospel that John saw is so total that he calls it life, eternal life. The kind of life that requires you to die and be born again. John wants us to see that there's this consuming life from God that looks totally different than the life we had before we first believed. And if the church is going to take the gospel seriously, we got to open ourselves to being transformed by it. We have to be willing to daily pray, God, how do you want to transform me with the gospel? Because what God is doing through Jesus Christ in the first century and I, I told the worship team this morning, I don't, I don't want to idolize the early church and say, hey, we need to be more like them. They got it right. They had their crazy people and people that didn't take seriously the word of God. They had every, all the things that we deal with today in our society. They had all of that. Um, but, but they had this view of this consuming belief that Jesus actually was resurrected from the dead and that as a result of that, they had a life that fundamentally looked different than the life around them. And then the, um, and the world saw that too. They started calling them followers of the way. They started calling them Christians. They started calling them by names um, that indicated the fact that something was different about their lives. And you knew a follower of the way when you met him because his grace and forgiveness was extraordinary. His kindness and compassion, he went out of his way to do things for people and it was all because of this consuming belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that belief, their life had been transformed. And my prayer for Tri-Cities Church is that belief will consume us anew and we'll find ourselves engaging in and doing things that we that just don't make sense according to the pattern of our world. That we'll be transformed in a new way joyfully transformed, not bitterly saying, okay, God, if you want me to do this, I guess I'll do it. There better be a, a, um, a crown. Uh, uh, what is that uh, a thing in my crown? A, a pearl? A jewel in my crown. I better have another jewel in my crown when I get to heaven because I said yes to this and you know I didn't want to. Um, it, it is not like that. It's joyfully being transformed by the gospel. You know, earlier this year, or not earlier this year, there's not much earlier this year. At the end of last year, our staff got together and had uh, what we were calling a strategic planning meeting. It, it started as a retreat, and then somebody was just like, well, you can't call it a retreat if you're not going anywhere, because I was just like, we got a fellowship hall. Um, and so then I started calling it a stay treat. 
And they were just like, well, you can't call it any kind of treat unless, you're, unless we're going to have some fun, right? And, uh, and, and so they said, well, you got to call this thing a strategic planning meeting. I was like, oh, okay. We're going to have a strategic planning meeting, and our staff is going to get together, and we're going to celebrate all that God has done at Tri-Cities Church. And we had a fantastic time of reflecting uh, on the days, even the days before there was a Tri-Cities Church, and what God was doing to bring different people together to build and grow this church. And we celebrated all that God has done. But then we asked the question, kind of assessing our values as a church, we asked the question, what does God want to do at Tri-Cities Church? And we talked about it, and we've prayed about it, and we thought about it, and we wrote stuff on a board, all that kind of stuff. And we, we, we value our, um, uh, one of our values, uh, we, we love our value for grace. You can see our five values back here on this wall, for grace. And, and what we came to the conclusion that God wanted to do at Tri-Cities Church is that he wanted to continue to magnify his limitless grace. Because it truly is amazing, right? It truly is amazing, right? That God's grace never runs out. That no matter where you are in life, God loves you. God accepts you. God receives you. No matter what you've done wrong, God finds worth in you, value in you. God will use you. God's grace really is amazing and limitless. But we want to continue to magnify God's grace while seeing people transformed through the gospel. Because, yeah, we can be loved and accepted by God, but if we're not being transformed, we're, um, we're, God's not using us, then, then all we're doing is making ourselves feel good, which I can pay somebody to do that, <laughs> make me feel good, tell me good things about myself. Right, um, So uh, all we're doing is taking God and making him one who encourages us but doesn't transform the world through us. And so what we began to see is that we want to magnify God's limitless grace while seeing people transformed through the gospel. And so we decided to add, I think this will be gone next week, this, this banner will be gone next week, although it will look very similar. Well, not the new one because it's not ordered yet, so it won't be one that looks similar. Um, but this banner will probably possibly be gone next week. If, if, if it's not gone, I need you to imagine that it looks differently uh, when it comes in and it says transformation on it, right? We decided to add a sixth value to the uh, values of Tri-Cities Church, and that one being transformation, knowing that what God does through people who believe the gospel is he transforms us. And we want to be attentive to God's transforming power, which says it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way, right? It's okay to come in the doors and say, my life is a mess (laughs) and it's falling apart. I am not worthy. I shouldn't be accepted by God, but it's not okay as we hear the gospel preached to stay that way because the gospel transforms us. Transformation says God loves you just the way you are but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Transformation is about hearing the gospel, believing it, and then living into it. This new life we have in Jesus Christ, a life that is apparently new, a life that looks different than the old life I had before I chose to follow God. What God wants to do at Tri-Cities Church must include transformation. He wants to see us as his people being transformed by the power of the gospel that is at work in our world. So just as our other values at Tri-Cities Church have functioned to shape our church, transformation is going to be a value that functions to shape 
our church. We're going to be constantly asking, how does God want to transform us? While all the while knowing that he loves us, accepts us, receives us just as we are. It's a powerful gospel, but even a bigger testimony to the grace of God. As we continue to think through our values at our strategic planning meeting slash stay treat, the thing that became clear as we looked at our other values and began to assess them is um, it just kept sticking out as simplicity uh, was awfully ambiguous. We kept going, what, is, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that our preacher is simple? Which some of you would be like, yeah, he's, he's pretty simple. Uh, does that mean our service is simple and short? Like when you come in, there's just, you know, singing, message, singing, communion, go home, right? Is that what simple means, right? Because my church growing up was like three hours long, right? And we had a lot of, man, announcements alone were 30 minutes long when I was growing up uh, for announcements. And you had all the kinds of different people coming up making announcements. Um, is that what simple means that we want? So simple became kind of ambiguous. It served us right as a new church, right? Because we knew that we didn't want to take on so much uh, that we would lose focus. But then we began to think like as a growing church, a church that's going into its fifth year of existence, do we want to remain simple is what God really desires from us is simplicity. And what we began to see is that God doesn't desire that we be simple, simple minded or just doing a few little things. But what God desires from us is intentionality. He wants us to think through what we're doing, not just doing stuff for the sake of doing it. Not falling into a church that has more socials than we have opportunities for people to serve the Lord with gladness. And we saw that if we were going to be a church that truly engaged God's mission, if we're going to be a church that is the church, then we need it to be intentional. That we as a church needed to be taking intentional steps about what we are going to do to ensure that we are equipping, as the Bible says, equipping the saints. That's you, right? Because of God's grace. You might say, I'm nothing like Mother Teresa. That's the only saint I know. Uh, I heard about how she cared for the homeless and those who were outcast and, and sick and diseased and infectious and all that kind of stuff. I'm nothing like St. Teresa. Um, that is, um, am I right in saying that? That is not, um, that, that's just not us, right? The Bible calls you saints, right? Those who are part of the church, he calls saints. People who stand before God with, under his grace, who are covered by his righteousness, and he sees you not for the wrong you've done And if we are going to be his church, he's given, um, Ephesians says he's given pastors, teachers, apostles, this whole list of people that work in the church to equip the saints for works of righteousness. So what we are going to do as a church is we're going to be intentional about what we do so that we'll be equipped for the work that God is calling us to do. There's real and legitimate and measurable work out there for us to do. God really does want to transform this world. He doesn't just want a group of people sitting in a room singing songs, right? He wants to bring change in our own lives and through our lives to bring change to our community. And we got to be intentional about that. And so um, we're going to be swapping out simplicity with intentionality. Because as a church, 
What we're going to be doing is thinking carefully about how is this going to function